the help of Hashem, we are learning Bavakama Dav Kuf Tezayin. We left off on Dav Kuf Tezvav Amid Beis, the last line and bottom of the Amid. We spoke about the concept of Takala, of one not being allowed to leave, in our case, Tamadika wine in one's home, even though one wants to use it for a permissible purpose. Simply leaving in one's home something that one cannot consume for a long time might lead to a stumbling, meaning a people, a person, the owner, the balabas, guests, might accidentally drink from it or eat from it, and therefore it's not allowed. So the Gemara says that v'takola atzma, this fear, tanoi, he is really a machlekes tanoi. The Tanyan we learned, chav yeshol yayin shal mamash our case, the person has a barrel of wine, of truma, that became you have to pour it all out in other words even if the wine is aged nevertheless you cannot sprinkle it slowly you cannot do zilo slowly you have to get rid of it right away however we are not concerned you will drink it and Basil didn't even say that this is the case by aged wine, perhaps Basil is saying, even if it's new wine, that you have to first let it sit there for a long time, and only then start to sprinkle it, apparently he's not afraid of takala. And on that, I will tip the balance. Hachra normally means when you have a machlekes between two tanoim, or two amariroim, you have a machlekes, and you have a third party, the way Rashi explains, that will side with one, being that we have a rule called Akhirei Rabim Lahatis, once it becomes two against one, so that taka tips the balance. Then the halacha will be like the two versus the one. And he says like this, Babai is, if the wine is in the house, then then you can use it for sprinkling, because no one sprinkled wine in a field. There's no point in giving a field a good aroma. The area is opened and it's large, and the effectiveness is very minimal, and the expense is huge. People did ziluf in a home. When you sprinkle wine in a house, so then you know the good scent remains contained, and therefore a lot better. Ubasada, however, if the yayin that's tummy is in the field, the artishafeich hakoil poured out, says Rashi tapara amid basada tishafeich hakoil because de am mamtale legoy If you will wait until it's brought into the house, even though you're going to take it there, also takala. That's the fear. The fear is, is that in the meanwhile, people will forget that it's Tomei. A third party that never knew that it was Tomei might benefit thereof, and it's Truma Tomei. Ikeda Amri, other people say that Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Yaisi said like this, Be Yashan, if the wine is already old, and as we mentioned at the end of yesterday's share, old wine is the wine that has a good scent, only then, Tayasa Zilov, can you use it for sprinkling to give a nice aroma in the ambiance. However, if the wine is still freshly pressed and therefore doesn't yet have a good smell, using it would demand of you keeping it in your house for a while. That is where Tishafech HaKarli have to pour it out. So, the way we are understanding the Machlekes Bishamai Obeisilo is Chayshinen Letakala or not. And Abishmol, but Abiyasi seemingly is saying, well, it depends on if the use will be immediate, then we're not chayish letakala. If the use is going to be later, whatever that means, then you are chayshin letakala. And amru to which they told Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yaisi, very important concept, 
Ein hachro'o shlishis machras. A third opinion that was worded in a way that it does not side with any explicit prior opinion is not considered an opinion that you can join and make a majority versus a minority. And Rashi beautifully speaks out, had Beishamai himself said that you have to spill it out no matter whether it's old or young, fresh wine, no matter Babai Subasada, always spill it out. Beishamai would have acknowledged that he's aware of the fact that there is a takala and maybe you can put that aside if you're using it immediately. If Basilil would have said you can use it even if the wine is chadash, even if you're in the field, if they would have acknowledged the issues and said to the extreme, one Beishama you can never, Basilil says always. And then the third party says, well I say in the field like uh, Beishama and in the house like Basilil, then that's called the third opinion. That you can unite his opinion with the prior one and you have a majority versus a minority. Being that Beishami never mentioned any of the differences that he made, nor did Beisilul, you can't consider this opining partly or partially like one and partially like the other. It's almost as if he's giving his own new opinion. So this new opinion cannot be united with the prior opinions and you don't have a das hamachria to say achri rabam lahatais. Other Rishonim learn interestingly that when they say Ein hachros shlishis machras shlishis meaning even though Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yesi is a Tana but he came three generations after Bishama and Basilo. It's a very interesting opinion. So when do you say that you have two against one when they are of the same era? Normally we put the errors, you know, Masharabeno, you have the you have the Nevi'im, right? The Shoftim, the Nevi'im, then you have the Tkufa of the Zugais and the Tanoim and Amiroim. Rabbanon Savaroi, Dereshoinim, Idegoinim, and Dereshoinim. Here, we're saying that even in one era, if the Chachamim lived many years apart, like Mishama Beisilol, you can say, Artkufas Hazugais. Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yaisi is already in the Zman of the Tanoim. You cannot join them together. Baiter. Now, what was the case in the Mishnah? The Tan of the Mishnah says, the first example was, a person had a barrel of honey. The other person had a barrel of wine. The one who owned the honey, that barrel cracked. And as we spoke yesterday, it didn't crack in a way that all the honey would have gotten ruined immediately, but the honey was leaking out slowly. So the Mishnah says, if the wine barrel owner spills out his wine without verbalizing anything, and he uses his barrel to save the honey, and then he tells the honey owner, listen, compensate me for the wine, he doesn't have to compensate him for the wine. He has to give him scharoi. We read the Rashi yesterday. He has to give him the time, the labor. He has to give him rental for the barrel, but he doesn't have to give him money for the wine. But if he said, who is the sayer? Not the one who's going to have to give. The one who wants to receive. If the wine owner told the honey owner, listen, I'm pouring out my wine, and I'm going to save your honey, but you're going to pay me for my wine. So we learned the Mishnah holds, then he will have to pay him. And as we spoke out, even though he, the honey owner never said it, silence, shtika, is like he's accepting upon himself. And furthermore, even though no kinyan was done, according to many Rishayim, nevertheless, in this case, his word is enough. Asks the Gemara, Amai, even if the wine owner said that, why will the honey owner have to compensate him? The name Malay, why can't the honey owner tell the wine owner, Mishata I was joking with you. I was quiet. 
You want to help me out? Good for you. I'm not paying you for your wine. And the concept of Meshat Anibacha obviously can almost be dangerous. I mean, when do you say it? When don't you say it? Just remember, Bavakama Kufta Zayin, we're going to learn this with time restrictions, but this is a huge studio. Just to be aware of this concept that there are sometimes one can make a commitment and later say, I was just joking with you. After he got what he wanted. What will be the example that we're bringing? This is a Gwalik example. If a person was escaping jail and there was a ferry boat in front of him. So this guy who escaped really needs to get to the other side. And he's afraid that the ferry boat driver might not take him. Either because he knows that he's an escapee, or because he'll be busy at this moment, and this guy can't wait. So Omar Loi, the boy Reyach, what do you call him, a guy who escaped jail? If there's a word for that, we'll call him in Lashen Kodesh. The boy Reyach tells the ferry boat driver, Toil dinar, I'm going to give you a dinar. Let's say in dollars, if the charge was a dollar, I'll give you a thousand dollars. He told him a very large amount of money. Take me across now. So he says, absolutely. For a thousand dollars? Yes, sir. And when he comes to the other side, the boy Reach tells him, I'm not giving you a thousand dollars. What's the normal fee? We said, a couple of bucks. Take, take what you normally charge. And he gets away with it. The usual fear is what he can demand. So likewise, why don't we apply here Mashata Nibacha? Alma, we see from over there that Amale Mashata Nibacha. So asks the Gemara Hachinami, Lemele Mashata Nibacha. Answers the Gemara, No, Ha, Loidami, Alalaseifa. That our Mishnah will be better compared to the case in the Seifa there. That Ve'im, Amar Loitoil, Dinar Zebes Charcha. Ve'ha Avireini. That if the Boireach tells the ferry driver, Take a dinner as your wage, as your salary. He adds those words. That's the word that we didn't have in the Reisha. And then, and take me across. And they took him across. He has to give him the whole dinner. And we asked, what's the difference whether he tells him, take a dinner or take a dinner as your schar? What's the difference? And on that, Rami Bar explained that the Seifa is speaking about a case. A fisherman, he's a ferry boat driver. That's a, that's a side parnasa. A yid, he's making, he's making a living here, making a living there. He also fishes. Now, had he fished, he would have potentially earned a dinner had he caught a large fish. Maybe, yeah, maybe not, but potentially he could have earned a dinner. Now that the Bayreach tells him, don't fish, take me across and I'll give you your wage. In other words, what's the max you can make if you'll fish? A dinner? I'll give you a dinner. That's already a commitment that he cannot say later, I was just joking with you. Likewise over here, over here the wine owner poured out his wine, he lost his wine. If that is his loss, it's even more than there. It's not a potential loss, that's Taka's loss. You cannot say, That's a very important rule. If you're offering an exorbitant amount, but that person potentially would never make it, in that world you can say, but if it's shaykh to make that money, then you cannot say Meshat Don't imagine how much, you know, this is applied to so many cases, applied by Shatchanim. A person promises a Shatchan a very large amount of money. You know, help me with my child Shidduch. Can they say Meshat 
There's a Marami Rottenberg that says it depends whether the Shatchan is a professional Shatchan. If that is their fee, you got to pay them that. But if they're a non-professional and you offer them a professional's fee, theoretically, there are times that maybe one could say later, no doubt so much money. Anyway, this is a, a very important topic not to apply unless one is familiar with all of the shittas and how we paskin, because you understand the, the counter side. Imagine what kind of world is that? People make a commitment and they get what they want and they say, I'm a shatani bachal. Okay. Oh, and just finish off. And in the safe of the b'raisa, when the boireach tells him, don't fish, I'll pay you a dinner, and Itaka didn't fish, so the ferry boat driver tells now the boireach that afsadetani kavri bezuza. You caused me the dinner's loss. That's the way we're going to learn the Gemara. Even though the word Zuz and the word dinner normally don't interchange, here they will. Okay. Next case the Mishnah gave, and as when we spoke out yesterday, it appears to be the same. That shot of Nar, that if a river overflowed and the water swept away Reuven's donkey and Shimon's donkey, Reuven's donkey is worth Bapkis, Shimon's donkey is worth Afar Megan. So the same thing, Reuven decides, I mean, I can save mine, let me save Shimon's, and he'll pay me back for mine. So it's almost a win-win. He'll lose, he'll have to give me a little bit of money, but he won't have the huge loss. So if nothing was said before, he only has to give him the, the schar, that people paid the wage to save a donkey, which is very little, even less than, than Reuven's little donkey's worth. But if before he went to save Shimon's donkey, he tells him, listen, I'm going to let my donkey drown, and I'm going to save your donkey, but you're going to pay me for my value, as long as the owner of the expensive donkey did not say, no, I won't, silence means he acquiesces, and he can demand that money. And the question is, why did the Mishnah have to give the example of the wine and the honey, and of the tzvei donkeys? Answers the Gemara of Tzricha. The Ashmin and Kamaisa had the Mishnah only taught the first case. Over there, if he articulated, the wine owner says, you're going to pay me, he taka has to pay him. Why? The wine owner poured out his wine. He ruined his own wine with the understanding that he'll get compensated for it. However, Avalachi over here, since the donkeys were drowning automatically, the Memela, one might have argued that even if the, the inexpensive donkey owner said, you're going to give me its value, maybe he won't have to. After all, he didn't cause for any direct, he didn't cause for someone to directly ruin their property. And likewise in reverse. and the Mishnah only taught you that by the donkey. The reason why if he doesn't articulate anything, then the inexpensive donkey owner only gets minimum wage or he gets the schar, you know, the wages for saving a donkey. Why? Because it happened by itself. But in the case of the ratio, one might have thought that since the wine owner did be dying, he poured out his wine to help his honey friend. That's why it's richam. Good. And now we're going to have two very interesting questions. No, because it's the same thing. That was the point. Point is, you cannot say Meshat Anibach. Because he lost his donkey. Had he not saved the... Very, very well said. In other words, that's part of the Chiddush of the Tzrichim. Now, you don't say Meshat Anibach even over here. Very good. 
Kahana Mirav. In our case, after verbalizing that I'm only going to help you because you're going to compensate. And Yorad Lahatzil and the Taka, the inexpensive donkey owner, verbalized that. He Taka saved the expensive donkey and he had the good mazel that his inexpensive donkey did not drown. Ah, great question, right? So now, Mahu, that person, the Mishnah Paskind, that's Shtika Kohida, that the expensive donkey owner basically agreed to compensate Reuven for Reuven's loss. But the fact here was Reuven did not have a loss. Because Reuven's donkey somehow survived. You never know. An inexpensive donkey, the little weasley donkey, the weak one won. The question is, does he have to compensate him? Let's say, Amru Uven Yer Shimon. I have a donkey, you have, my donkey is worth nothing. My donkey is worth $10. Your donkey is worth $1,000. Both of our donkeys are drowning. I can only save one. So I shout, hey Shleimer, I'm going to save your donkey. You're, gonna, you're not going to lose your $1,000, but you're going to pay me $10 for my donkey. Okay? The Mishnah says that if you don't say no, you've got to pay me. I saved your donkey. But then the, at the end, my donkey saved itself. So you don't want to pay me $10. You're telling me, why should you pay me $10? My donkey is living. Or I'm saying, the fact that my donkey is living, that's my own good mazel. You agreed to pay me $10. No, no the hours, that's chari. I want you to pay me for my donkey. This happens commonly today. If, God forbid, I'm driving my car, and I cannot into your car. And, and, and you have your own insurance. And you're coming, pay me, mazik. I'm telling you, why should I pay you for the damage that I did? If anyways, you're getting paid from the insurance company. Forget about the premiums going up issue. Am I chayv to pay or not? This is a gavaldika question. So Amalei, so that responded that In other words, the fact that Reuven's donkey somehow rescued itself, or Hashem saved Reuven's donkey, helping Reuven with an additional ten dollar donkey, that's a benefit that God gave to Reuven. It doesn't undermine Reuven's claim against Shimon. I saved your donkey because you agreed to pay me for mine. So Shimon has to pay. And Uven benefited. Huh? Why doesn't it make sense? It makes so much sense to me. I'm Reuven. One second. It makes, of course it makes sense. No, because my donkey was taken lost. Let's word it better. The moment I dived into the water to save your donkey, my donkey was hefkered. I gave up ownership. Now my donkey came out of the... I, I acquired something from Hefker. Make believe my donkey drowned. You paid me $10. And tomorrow in the market, someone gave me a gift. If someone else gave me a gift, it has nothing to do with you. So he's saying, Hashem gave me a gift. So you already paid him. He, he didn't pay him yet. Didn't. Doesn't matter. So yeah. The fact that, I mean, that God gave me a gift doesn't... Take away your responsibility to pay me. And listen to the story, that Rab Safra joined a caravan of people going through you know, the desert, the wilderness, and God made a miracle for them. That that a lion joined them, and the lion was their protector. There are many stories in Chazal about this. However, the Chevron, the Shayara, decided that it makes sense that every night, one of us should give his donkey to the lion. So the lion should be uh, satisfied. So we should not become lunch. 
And they made that agreement. So every night, one person gave the donkey. When it became Rav Safra's time, and Bekachlan, the lion happily ate it up. But Kimata, Zmanay, the Rav Safra, when the Rav Safra's time came, he gave his donkey. But the lion didn't eat it. And it happened to me, that was the last day of the trip. So now, after the, the lion let the donkey live, Rav Safra reacquired it. We'll get to that in a moment. Why did he have to do that? So Amale, one second. So what's the raya? What would be the other logic? Rab Safra should not be allowed to reacquire it. The, the value of his donkey should have been divided with everyone. Is the haraya that minashamayim they gave a gift to Rab Safra, but other people cannot benefit from it. Everyone agreed to give their donkey. Rab Safra gave his donkey. The fact that it happened to be that his donkey was not consumed and he reacquired it, lucky Rab Safra. He gets to keep it. Now, by the way, on this, I don't understand the whole story. Why did Rab Safra have to make a Kenyan? The answer would be, what do you mean? Because when he gave it to the lion, he, he was mafkirit. The Gemara says, not exactly. He, didn't, he was not mafkirit for everyone. He gave it to the lion, and if the lion doesn't eat it, then it should automatically still be his. There was a certain type of abandonment. You give, your, you give your animal to a lion, you presume that animal will eat it. But it's not shot that you gave up all ownership. And therefore, in such a case, now that the lion didn't eat it, why did he have to make a kenyan? To which Amalei, You're right. He did not need to make a kenyan. But he was afraid that people in his caravan would be people like us. No, a little bit. They wouldn't really know the dinim well. And they would think it is Hefker. So just to make it clear that it's not Hefker, he made a Kenyan, but it was really not necessary. Boy, Rab mi Rebbe. Now Rab is going to ask a similar but opposite question from Rebbe. Now the question was, Reuven's donkey survived. And we paskin, good for Reuven. Shimon has to pay him the donkey. Now he has two donkeys. What happens if mom is the opposite? Again, Reuven and Shimon, both donkeys are drowning. Reuven tells Shimon, listen, I'm going to save your donkey, but you pay me for mine. And Reuven did what he could, but he failed to save Shimon's donkey. And his donkey died. And he tells Shimon, you have to compensate me. Shimon says, why should I compensate you? You didn't, you didn't save my donkey. He says, but I tried. I allowed my donkey to drown in order to try to save yours. If, if Reuven did what he said he will do, he just did not succeed, can he collect the money regardless? So so Rebbe tells Rav, that's a question. For sure he only gets his labor. He cannot ask for his donkey because the condition was predicated on his success. Not on his effort. So Rav challenges Rebbe, Azoi, it says in Abraisa, if a person hires a worker, to bring kruv, to bring cabbage, or, and to bring durmaskonin. Durmaskonin is a quinces, these are vegetables, to bring it lochayla, evidently a person who's not well benefits from having cabbage and quinces. And when the 
Shliach went. He found that either the person who was ill, God forbid, already passed on, Shemais, or the opposite, Rosh Hashanah, he got better. Now he hired a worker to pay him. So the din is, he has to pay him the agreed price. And the sender, the employer, cannot tell the worker, I paid you to do something, and you did not do it. In other words, when you ask someone to do something, you're not paying him for the success, you're paying him for the effort. So here also he made the effort, kasha, and that's what the Rav asked the Rebbe, Amar Lei, Rebbe tells the Rav, not me dummy. Hasam avich liach shlichusei. Over there, the shlichus, the job, was not to affect an outcome. Was to do the job. Go bring him quinces. Go bring him a cabbage. And in other words, he was not hired to heal the patient. He was hired to give him medicine. That's different. But over here, here he was not hired to attempt. Shimon agreed to pay him the money because you're going to save my donkey. So every case is a case. And if it's understood that the job was to get the job done, not to make your effort, that's the key. And being that here he did not do what he was asked to do, that's why he cannot get the value of his donkey. He only gets schar, the wages that people would pay for people to go and save other people's donkeys. How, how does this work if, you were, if there was a ship that goes and saves, it saves animals, and it hires a ship to save an animal? So if you pay them, That's they have to bring back your animals. Or give you back your money and pay, and pay you just a wage. Correct. I'm sure that today, as the world evolved, and because of so many of these cases happened often, that they write it all in the contract. The ideal today is to have a clearer contract. And, and obviously, once you make a clearer contract, you have to follow your agreement, as we'll see in a moment. All of these questions that we have in Chazal is when people did not make a clear contract. They made a very vague contract. So you have to go to the default din and that's the default din This whole Ahmed is going to be beautiful. Cases like this. Next case, Tanar Abonam. Shayara. Speaking about again, a caravan. That they were walking through the desert. A group of people. And the Ahmed, Allah, Gaius, Latarfa. And troops came and they wanted to plunder. Plunder meanings that were not going to hurt anyone. They were just going to take everyone's money away. Kiminik Hamakin. And they decided they somehow bribed the Gaius. They told the guys, listen, don't go and plunder us. How much money do you want? Take the money. Question is, how do you divide everyone's part in that uh, ransom? What will be the options? Per person or per money that each one has? Great. You know, if they gave him $1,000, you had you know, 10 people, each one $100. Or, no, no, no. They were not going to kill anyone. They were just going to steal everyone's money. So maybe you have to evaluate, not nefashos, but how much money did each person have? How much money did you gain? So a percentage of their value. So here the, the Braisa says, that you only assess, again, the percent of how much value each person had with him there, which was exactly what was saved. Continues the Braisa. But if they hired a guide, to lead them through the desert in a safer way. And now you have to know how do you divide the salary you got to pay to this tire, to this guide leader. Here, the guide leader 
is not only guiding them through the desert, hopefully in a way where they won't have their money stolen, in the desert you can sometimes have people that would want to kill them. So you have to calculate both. So it's half and half. Half of a salary goes lefi nefashais, the other half lefi mamoin. Bechashvin, af, af means both, and again, the Rishonim say half and half lefi nefashais. Next, tighter lefneim. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, however, Yishanu right? I'm Says the Brisa, beautiful. We just spoke this out. If there isn't a local minic, if there isn't a norm, so if you don't know what the rule is, that's the rule. If you were attacked and then bribes were given and the attackers only wanted money, if the attack was to kill, if a guide was hired half and half, but if there's a minic hamakim, even though you did not articulate how we're paying him, according to people, according to the money people are taking, follow the Minak HaMokim. That's the meaning of Minak HaMokim. Very good. Next case. That you have a group of people that are going through the desert. And every night, one person has to stay awake to guide, to guard the donkeys. To make sure that wild animals don't eat them up. Everyone owns some donkeys and everyone is guarding it. They can make a verbal Tanai amongst themselves that if one person will lose their donkey, because we're doing our best, but it's a desert, then the law should not be personal. Everyone will partake in that law. The Chiddush of this din, similar to the, what we learned yesterday in the Mishnah, is that you don't need to make a Kenyan. These are very unusual cases. Now, what's the benefit that everyone gets from joining in in such a partnership that if, if to, everyone has to watch, if I lose, everyone loses. Everyone agrees to it. There's a full gemiras das. Now, one second. What happens if one guard lost a donkey because he didn't do a good job? You can't say everyone loses. So the Baraisa says, Bekusya, if he lost it through kusya, through negligence. Always imagine, oh, how do you know and what's the line of negligence? Okay, that you leave for later, but the concept. Then you don't have to re- 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 Then the owner is the one that lost it. If the guard lost his donkeys for negligence, tough luck. However, now it comes another hitch. The donkey owner tells the group, one second, my donkey is everyone's loss. I don't want to. I want for people to give me money not to replace my donkey. And I'll still guard that night when it's my turn, even though I don't have a donkey anymore, I'll still guard. But don't, don't buy me a new donkey, give me the value of the donkey. They tell him, You don't do that to him. And the Gemara says, Pshita. Pshita because when you have in English skin in the game, you do a whole different job. It was a guy who has his own donkey to protect and everyone else's donkey, he'll do a much better job in protecting and staying awake the whole night then if at the end of the day he has nothing what to lose, that he cannot take money, everyone bears the loss and they buy him a new donkey. Answers the Gemara, even if this person who lost his own donkey has other donkeys, say he had two, now he has one. So he already has skin in the game. He's going to guard it properly anyway. I will do a better job if I have two donkeys than if I have one donkey. If you only have one donkey, you don't guard it as well. So therefore, this joint loss is compensated not with guilt, 
compensated with another animal. If a if a ship, when you learn Chazal ship, don't think of the QE2. It's important. The ships were little shmatadike. The rowboats that you rent here is is already much an upgrade, as you'll see in a moment. These are pieces of wood that very easily used to get turned over, which is why it was mamish people needed to learn how to swim. I'm not saying that it's not shaykh today, but that we learned in Kedushan. A father has to teach a child how to swim. So a ship, a ship, a raft, a log that was going in the sea. And a little, a little breeze was coming, so the ship was going to sink. And So they threw stuff overboard to, make, to lighten it up. Now one guy had gold and one guy had iron. The guy who had gold, let's say, threw over 10 pounds of gold. So the guy who has iron says, okay, good, I'll throw over 10 pounds of iron. The, the golden guy says, you're kidding? I threw 10 pounds of gold, you throw over how many thousands of tons it should be equivalent. But we don't do that. Because what protects the ship? Not the value of the weight, the fact that it's going to be lighter. So it's weight for weight. Gold, iron, same amount. It goes according to the weight. However again, says the if the, if the sailors there had a different understanding, that yeah, the weight is going to ruin, the lightening up of the ship will save us. But we do take into account the value, and everyone should give their value equal amount. If that was the minik hamakim, you got to follow the minik hamakim. And then the, the, the sailors can make a condition amongst themselves, again, even without a kinyan. A bunch of people, and every night they needed to watch over the boats, that if any one of us will have their boat overturned, that was the insurance. People, many times, the ships used to capsize. Their little things used to capsize. So they made an agreement. Listen, when you go out, when I go out, if one person loses their boat, everyone has to compensate. If that was the agreement, then even with no Kenyan. However, what happens if someone was negligent? The same thing. If one you know, was negligent in the way they drove with their ship, as we'll see in a moment, that ain't mamidim. mamidim Now, if the person took the ship deep into the ocean, I'm making a joke with Balzan, in other words, he put the boat in a place where there's more chances for it to be capsized, then ain't mamidim. So the Lord says, Pshita, of course, if you're negligent, then it's on you. Answers the Gemara again, we're speaking about people driving their ships you know, they had ropes that you used to anchor the ship in by the port. So a rope's length was enough distance from the banks of the river that in Nissan you can already drive your ships that far away and no need to go further. Nissan is the time of the year that all of the snow and the ice throughout the uh, winter starts to melt. So rivers get more swollen. So during this, the Menachekei Chad Ashla, ships, ships, used to stay one rope length away from shore. That was the perfect distance. In other words, the further away from the shore, the more the ship can capsize. And, but however, in Tishrei, being that after the whole summer, in Eretz Yisrael, there was Bechlal no rain summer, so there's a lot less water. Don't forget, if ships go into very shallow waters, then they'll get stuck in a rock, they'll hit a rock. So there they have to travel, today Ashley, two rope lengths away from the shore. 
And this sap on this sailor, the Ka'azul that during the season of spring, he went two rope lengths away. That was his negligence. And the boat capsized. And you said you blame it on him. You would think that that he can say, I followed my routine. No, it's half of the year we go that far away. Instead of going 10 feet, I went 20 feet. You're negligent. Now you shouldn't have gone the whole 20 feet. You should have stayed 10 feet closer. That's called negligence. No, driving. No, it's their, their condition was, we all have ships. If any of us lose our ships because of, you know, that's what happened then, we cannot, we cannot we'll, we'll get out of business. So we made like an insurance. Many insurances like this they have, you have today. Well, you have chaveirim, you know, God forbid, if someone passes away, they're getting groups now, it's kavalik. I think of 10,000 people, that if anyone from this group, God forbid, has a loss, everyone else will give for a month a few dollars. You make these types of insurances, group insurance. But if the loss happens through negligence, then they're not, they never obligated themselves. They're driving, they're doing the business, they're taking merchandise from here to there. And boats are sometimes overturned, and they had the boat needs to be replaced. We learned in If you have a caravan that's going through the desert, and a troop comes, and it actually is starting to plunder, and one person from the caravan, and he goes ahead and single handedly, and he plunders the plunderers, he gets them out, and he saves all the money. So the question is, who owns the money? Great questions. Says the Braisa, Hitzel Emsa. The way Rashi is going to teach, Hitzel Emsa means it belongs to the original owners. This Gibbard cannot say, listen, they already stole it. It's theirs. You guys gave up. And now, I was coined from Hefker. No? However, the Imhamar, but if he says, Ani Atzalat's me, guys, I'm going to go fight those bandits. But whatever I get is mine. So then Hitzel Atzmai, end of Braisa, asks the Gemara one second. Hey Chidami, exactly what is the case of the Braisa? If all other people would have been able to get their belongings back, which means that really they were never mafkidit, they were never meyayish, they were never mafkidit. So even if he says, I'm taking it for me, imagine, God forbid, I go over to your house and I'm notifying you, hey, I'm taking it for me. So what? I'm a Ghana, if I can't do that. I feel safe and I'm a lamb. Now, if he was, he was like Hashem Shanagibr, and no one else would have been able to take it back from those plunderers. So they really had the Yush. So it's Hefker. So if that's the case, I feel even if he didn't say anything, he should be allowed to keep all of it. Great question. And the Gemara gives a few solutions. Answer number one, Amram Bar Chama, each one is beautiful. Rabbi Chama says that here the people weren't only members of the same caravan, all of their money was owned in partnership. Now, not for now, but just to be aware of that dissolving a partnership unilaterally is not that simple. When me and you are partners, it's not so simple for me to decide. I wake up one morning and just declare, all right, I'm taking my part and goodbye. There are ways to dissolve a partnership, but making a declaration doesn't cut it. However, when all of our money stands to be lost, just get the concept, there, every party has the right to unilaterally dissolve the partnership. So that was the case. They were partners. And, and in such a case, 
you are allowed to apply one partner, even if the other one did not agree yet, one partner can say, everything here is in danger, I want out. You're allowed to do it. Now the question is, is he dissolving the partnership? So I guess, Omar, if he says, what I'm saving is for me, we interpret those words to mean polig. He's dissolving, he's dividing the partnership. Meaning, whatever he saved, now obviously, whatever he saved, meaning even if it's a scenario where everyone was able to, um, to take it for themselves, no one had the use, doesn't matter. No one had the use, but I have the right to dissolve the partnership. And I'm declaring, I'm dissolving it, and I'm going to save my part. Now, if I saved more than my part, I can't keep that. Because there was no Yush. But then when the Mishnah says, whatever he saved, he saved for himself, means that he can claim, I saved my part. But Loi Omar, if he didn't make a declaration, I'm taking it for me, then his going and kicking out those bandits, Loi Palik, he didn't mean to dissolve the partnership. And therefore, the Rishonim say, even if no one would have been able to do it. So you can argue the other people had Yush. So what? He's a partner with the others. He did not have Yush. So when he saves whatever he saved, that continuously is belonging to everyone. That's why he hits answer. Answer number one. Answer number two, Rava says, right, good, that here, the Bnei HaShayara, they hired a worker to go challenge the Gaius. They paid jointly to someone. Now, there's a new rule we're going to learn many times in Baba Metziah based on the fact that when Hashem took our grandparents out of Mitzrayim, Hashem says, We are not slaves to other slaves. Words, we are only subservient to God. That finds expression. Halachically, that a worker is allowed to quit his job in the middle of the day, a lot more details than Bava Metziah. Only if his quitting his job in the middle will affect a tremendous loss. So, for example, if I was hired to paint this room, if I stop in the middle of the day, I'm not causing you a loss. Whatever I painted, I painted. I'm allowed to do it. Forget about the money compensation. You know, sometimes, if you pay a guy to paint the whole room, you pay him $100. If you pay two workers, each one to paint half, you would have to pay each one $75. You have to pay $150. I'm not talking about the money part. I'm talking about the concept, I can quit my job whenever I want. I'm not a slave to you. If I agree, then I do it. If I don't agree, I can, I can walk out. So here is the Gavaldika case. People hired a worker to save their stuff. He can quit his job in the middle. And in a case where no one else had the koyach to save their stuff, so they made it hefker, he can pack a quit his job and say, one second, I'm not working for you. I'm saving it for me. Don't pay me the agreed amount and I'm keeping all of it. He's allowed to do it. That's the word. Now if he doesn't quit his job, why is it Hitzalah Emsa? Because he was sent from everyone. Another great answer. That the Pyle Maskian, Ukhirav, and like it I've taught us that Omarav, Poyal, Yochalach, Zerbaya, Filabachatsiyam. A worker can stop his work in the middle of the day. He won't get compensated fully. Again, forget about the money part. I can quit my job. And the Kamadabay, if he did not walk out of the deal, so this guy has came, this big bandit came, so they hired a worker that was bigger than him. So if he didn't quit his job, so Yad Poyel, Ki Yad Balabais, then he's representing everyone. That's why the Baraisa says, Hitzil Emsa. However, if he says, guys, I'm saving it for me, what he means is, I'm not working for you anymore. Because it says, that we are Avadim, 
luckily to Hashem, but we're not subservient to another human being, which finds expression, again, in this concept that normally we can quit whenever we don't want to do whatever we agree to do. Right? Rav Ashi gives a third answer, that that we're speaking about a case that everyone would have been able to challenge the Gaius, but with great difficulty. So the thing is like this, if this one who says, I'm saving it for me, and they heard and they were quiet, why were they quiet? That means that they were saying, that take it for yourself, we're not going to go through the trouble, it's a, it's a, you know, we might succeed, we might get beaten up. That's the proof that they had after then he gets to keep it. But if he didn't make such a declaration, I'm saving it for me, how do you know they were mafkirit? Maybe they also felt that they can do it. But you want to be the strong one? Gay do. You go. And that's why Laems, Yovaldik. Okay, next mission. How much is he holding? million dollars. Doesn't matter the money. Any amount. Great. Next mission. Hagoizel This is a new topic and it's going to go into God willing tomorrow. And just to say the following, that we had throughout Bavakama a rule called Grama bin Zakin Pater. Then we have Rav Meir that is Do'in Dina de Garmi. And we already spoke out that Shitas Rashi, that Garmi and Grama is more or less the same thing. And more or less, even according to Rashi, not exactly. And according to Rabbi Meir, even causative damages are something that one is obligated to compensate Bidine Adam. And now we're going to have such a case over here. And the case will be, if someone points to a government official, go take that person's field, or he points to an extortionist, go steal that person's field, and because of my direction, the extortionist stole someone else's field, that will be in the category of Garmi, and we will see... That's what we're saying, there's Grama, there's Garmi, and our Mishnah seems to be going with the opinion and let's use the words garmi, that you will be chayiv. So that's the Mishnah. First of all, ha-goizel, If one steals a friend from another, God forbid, me and your neighbors, I put my boundary more into your property. Or, I push it, I forcefully got you out of your house. Now really, halachically, karke ain't exelus. It's never mine. It's yours, you just don't have access to it right now. And now, Masikin means extortionists came and they took it away from the robber. So Reuven robbed Shimon's field and Masikin took it away from Reuven. Who is the robber chayiv to compensate the owner? So the dinner is like this. In Makas Medinehi, if these extortionists were robbing everyone's lands, it was extortionists. Yeah, yeah, bandits, that might be worse. Robbers, you know, simple. Extortionist is going to a whole region. This is mine. So the din is in Makas If he took everyone's land, so the robber, whether he would have robbed or not, it wouldn't have changed anything. At the end of the day, the masik would have taken it. So the robber can tell the original owner, "Hadeshul Halafanecha." You want me to give back what I took? It's right here for you. You can't go back in there because of the extortionist. What do you want from me? He's off the hook. However, but if the masik, if the extortionist took Shimon's field because first it was robbed through the oven, as the Gemara will explain, so he caused it to be taken, there you say, he has to give him another field. Says the Gemara, one second. First of all, this is a common 
statement we have in Gemara that they had already then different versions in the Mishnah and how do you say in Lashon Kodesh the word extortionist so there were those who had in their text Masikin with Asamach and says Rav Nachman whoever has the Mishnah with those words Loi Mishtabish is not making a mistake because that could be a proper word for a extortionist Uman Datana Matsikin Metatzadik also Loi Mishtabish is also not making a mistake Interestingly, both of them are going to quote Hashgacha Pratis, the parsha of this week, Parshas Ki Savai, Mandatani Matzik and Lemishtabish, because it says in Savai during the Teichacha, Bamatsoid, Ubamatsoid, under siege and oppression. These are, you know, sad parts of the Torah that externally sound like not good things. That our enemies are going to oppress us and seize our property, and the Torah uses the word of extortionists. With that tzaddik, Omandutani masikin metasamach loimishtabish, because it says yi yorash hatzelatzol that the locust will take our property. The locusts are the biggest ganovim. You understand? Umetargeminon that yach senine sakoa that the sakoa locust will inherit it. The kid said, first of all, the versions are good like this and good like that. And now the Gemara clarifies. Let's start going into this. That imachmas agazlon chayov that if the extortionist did not extort everyone's land, they would have taken it anyway. But if they did it because of it first being robbed, then the robber is chayiv. Hey, clarifies the Gemara. If the extortionist was only stealing the robber's land, but he's not stealing anyone else's land. So the Uven robbed Shimon's land, so to say, and someone came after the Uven. And, that, and, and therefore, Shimon tells Reuven, if you would not have first robbed my land, I never would have lost it. So the Gemara says, yeah, Reuven is chayef to pay, but the Mishnah did not need to spell that out, because that was already implied from the first case in the Mishnah. When the Mishnah says that if the extortionist took everyone's property, then he's exempt. Which implies that if he only was after the robber's property, then he'll be chayef. Hamireisha shomat mino. And Rebbe was very medayik in the Mishnah. The Baraisa spoke things out with more detail. The Mishnah was more precise. So if it's something can be implied by the Reisha, Rebbe added words for another din, for a Chiddush. So the Mara says, Tricha, he added this side in a case, where the robber showed, he pointed to the extortionist, take this land, and he's chayiv. In other words, that not that we're speaking about a robber. He never robbed. Reuben didn't rob anything of Shimon. An extortionist came into town. He's going to take something. So the Mishnah is telling you that if Reuben tells the extortionist, you see that field? That looks like nice for you. It's chayiv. However, it doesn't go good with the Mishnah because the Mishnah begins with Hagoizel Sadam Echaveiroi. So the Mishnah Achrina says, no, no, no. We're speaking about Reuven first took Shimon's field. That a, a guy came and he's extorting all of Reuven's land. And the Omri lay, and these extortionists tell Reuven that prior robbed land from Shimon, they told him, We're taking your property. Show us where your property is. If I stay, now. Reuben, Reuben is a robber. Reuben stole a piece of land from Shimon. Extortionists come to Reuben and they tell him, show me all of your property. We're taking all of it. And he also showed him the land that he had prior <coughs> robbed from Shimon. That was not really his land. That Achavei Ar'osei 
show me your land, and ba'ach v'yahu, ba'adayu, excuse me. So, this Ganev, this robber, Reuven, also showed the land that he had prior stolen from Shimon. That's the case where he's going to be chayiv. Apparently, if he did not previously rob it, he just pointed to it, maybe according to the Lishna he would not have to compensate for it. And why not? Again, because we're going into causative damages. And that will be the Chiddush of our Mishnah, that even though he did not rob it, he only directed a robber to rob it, you can claim it's grama. Here you chayv. So according to the Lishna Chrina, he's chayv because he robbed it first. And now he showed it, that's when he's going to be chayv. Says the Gemara story. Hahu, Gavram, there was a person that the Achavei, that without him being coerced, and that's going to be a very key, uh, that's going to be a very key, Nukuda over here, that if someone is coerced into show to extortionists where other people's properties are, then the one who was forced to show it to them is going to be putter. Not he did the stealing, so it's grama, and he didn't voluntarily offer that information. But here in this story, he was not coerced. People came into town, bandits and a stama person says hey you want the, the Reish Galusa was wealthy over there he has some stores of wheat and they stole the wheat so the Reish Galusa took that person to Rav Nachman if I'm not mistaken this is the Rav Nachman that was a uh, son-in-law of the Reish Galusa again it must be that they agreed both sides to go to a relative and Chayve Rav Nachman Shalume. Rav Nachman told that Paskin you have to pay to the Reish Galusa you were not forced to show them. You, Taka, did not steal it. You got to pay up. So, Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, Achorid, Rabbi Funa, Barchia, and Yosef, Rabbi Funa, Barchia, Rabbi Nachman, Amar, Lay, Rabbi Funa, Barchia, Rabbi Nachman, Dina, Oiknasam. Are you paskening that Grama ben Izakim, or Dain, Dina de Garmi, or normally you won't obligate someone to compensate if they did not directly do it, but here there's a unique reason why you penalize them, but it's a unique case here. It's not Me'ikir Adin. So Amar Leir, Amachman responded, Masnisani. It's this Mishnah. The Tanan, Im Machmas HaGazlan, that if a extortionist robbed land because of a robber who pointed him in that direction, Chayv Lahamad Leisodam. Then the one who caused the extortionist to take that land has to pay. And V'oik Mino, we just explained it, according to the Lishna Achrino, or better, according to the first uh, interpretation, that even if the one who directed, did not even rob it himself, that the achvei achvuye, that even if he only pointed the extortionist in that direction, he's chayef to pay, apparently, do'in dinner de garmi. So, basad enofik, when Rav Nachman walked out, so now, why did you ask that question to him? Why did you need to know whether Rav Nachman told that not good person, you showed the extortionist the wheat of Vedish, pay, if it's or if it's only knas, knasa. So the Gemara answers, you know, I asked that question because I want to know. Could we learn from our Rav Rav Nachman that doin dina de garmi? This is a huge question. And as as you just said, Shlaiman, normally we are learning that Gramma bin Zakan is Pater. More in this Amir Tashama next piece of Gemara. But again, according to Rashi, even though Garmi and Grama are the same, this is already called Garmi. It's more direct. Extortionists are going to take something, you pointing them, it's more direct causative, and Rav Nachman is paskening like Rav Meir, that you're chayiv, oi, 
Knasa. If it's a knas, knas would mean that normally Rav Nachman would not paskin that someone who caused damage has to pay. But this guy is a chronic informer. You know, this guy is constantly causing other people to lose stuff. So there, there is a time where a basin can make an exception in this case and they can cancel him. So my question to Rav Nachman is relevant. I wanted to know whether doing didn't got me or not, and we'll leave over here in all middle. Emirates Hashem to be continued tomorrow.